<laughs> Welcome back to the Disney Diaries podcast. I am on one today, so just be ready for it. Um, it really is, though. <laughs> it's Aries season. I'm not an Aries, but I feel like I'm crazy like Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't really know anything about astrology. <laughs> I just know that we're Pisces. Yeah, we the are fish Pisces. People. I'm like a wannabe uh, Aries, and you're like a wannabe kind of chill person. I don't know anything okay. about astrology. Well, so basically today, um, we're going to be doing some true crime stories, which is kind of like the opposite of my mood, because true crime is kind of sad, and I'm very happy right now, so I'm ready to get sad and depressed. I guess I'll go first. That's yeah. kind of what we agreed. Um, I've compiled... Um, Basically just a synopsis. Is that the right word? Sure. <laughs> a summary of, like, what happened in these cases. I have two. I don't really know how many Grace has, but, um... I told him nothing. Yeah, you hate spoilers, but, like, to an annoying point. Yeah, because spoilers, like, you just ruin your chance of experiencing something for the first time. Hi, I'm mm-hmm. Grace. I hate spoilers. You do. I remember in Latin class when I spoiled the Portal 2 ending for... You did that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Was Was that there? It was by accident, though. Yeah, you were right there, and you were like, John, she hasn't played that far yet. And I'm like, oh god. Wow, I don't remember that, but... Yeah. I probably should have, because... Yeah. That's honestly my biggest pet peeve is spoilers. Yeah. Probably. I would say so. Speaking of spoilers, I won't look at your screen. Speaking of spoilers... Don't look at my screen. I'm not gonna. I'm probably going to. I'll just dim it. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, dim it for now. That's good. It's dimmed. <laughs> I, I realize that this is sort of sensationalized, like, true crime and stuff. But, like, these are real yeah. people with real families. So, like, you know, this is not, like, an alien abduction. Please don't conspire. I'm just, like, reading what my research I've compiled, you know. And it's interesting and, you know, it's good to learn about. Yeah. Not necessarily what not to do because, you know. Well, it's really important. It's just good to be, like, aware of stuff that goes on, but we're not trying to, like, laugh at it or anything. Yeah. Yeah, no. Okay, so this first case is about Kristen Smart. Some of you may or may not have heard of her, because this is kind of a famous, more famous case. You haven't heard of her, Mm-mm. at least you don't remember, so... Yeah. Alright, well, this case uh, takes place in California in 1996. Kristen Denise Smart was born on February 20th of 1977 in Augsburg, Germany. Their family relocated to the United States during her childhood, where she was raised in California. Smart was enrolled at California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, Obispo, California. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. California. And this all takes place during Memorial Day weekend. So during Memorial Day weekend on May 25th, 1996, Smart attended a party that took place on campus. She was known by her friends and family to not be, like, much of a drinker at all. She was kind of like a... She was a good girl, you know? She didn't really do many crazy things. Um, However, at approximately 2 a.m., she was found passed out on a neighbor's lawn by two fellow students, Cheryl and Tim, who had just left the party. So they were, like, leaving outside. She was passed out on the front lawn. They were like, hey, girly, you're passed out. They helped her to her feet and decided to walk her back to her nearby dormitory. Okay. Um, Another student. Right. Like, I mean, I feel like that's just proper etiquette if you see (laughs) (laughs) some of your friends just, like laying there in the dirt. It happens sometimes. Yeah. They helped Smart to her feet and decided to walk her back to her nearby dormitory. 
Another student from the party, Paul Flores, joined their group and offered to help the two return Smart to her dorm room safely. Tim left the group first, since he lived off campus and had driven to the party. Cheryl was the second to depart the group after she told Flores that he could walk Smart back to her dorm, since he lived closer. Flores stated two scenarios to police, the first being that he walked her to her dorm room first and then walked back to his dorm in Santa Lucia Hall afterwards, the second being that he walked Smart as far as his dorm and then allowed her to walk back to her dorm by herself. So they were walking back from the party, all four of them. Tim left first, then Cheryl, and then Flores. Um, his apartment, or his, his dorm was the next like, sort of in the line, and then uh, Kristen Smart was was the last. She lived the furthest away. Okay. So, that's kind of why there's those two different scenarios. So, who told the police about that? Flores stated that to the police. Okay. To those two different contradicting, contradicting scenarios. Okay. Flores was the last person reported to see Kristen Smart, like, ever. Oh, Okay. Kristen Smart often called her mother to catch up, and it wasn't uncommon for her to call, like, a few times a week, because they were very close, they had a very close relationship. Her mother did not hear from her after the weekend of the party, and immediately knew something was wrong. She called some of her daughter's friends, and nobody had seen her since the party on Friday, and this was on Monday. Her parents reported Kristen missing to the campus police, but the police were very hesitant to report her missing and just assumed she had gone on a spontaneous vacation as it was Memorial Day weekend. So, like, a lot of students did that. Okay. Did, you know. did she have a car on campus? Do you know? I'm unsure. Okay. I don't know about that. That's rude. Because you think that they, like... Does she, did she have a roommate or something? Like, she does anyone... have a roommate. We're getting to that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll no. just stop. No. Ask questions. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. Um, Spoilers. This was very unlike Kristen, however. Um, it wasn't. Un- it was unlike her to just take a random vacation without telling her mother. Yeah. Just because they were super close. She was a good girl, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. Very unlike her, according to the people close to her. A missing persons report was filed on, mon- on May 28th. So she okay. was last seen May 25th. Police report okay. filed May 28th. Her roommate reported that all of her important belongings were left in her dorm. Her keys, her wallet, were all in their normal places, as if, you know, she was just hanging about her dorm. They were all in the same places. Yeah. Police dogs were used to try and pick up the scent of any foul play around campus. Multiple different dogs on separate occasions picked up a scent that led them straight to room 126 of Santa Lucia Hall. And guess whose room that belonged to? Paul Flores. The last person to ever see her. Yeah. Paul has previously been Mm. accused of stalking another woman... But nobody pressed charges, and Paul remained a free man. So he was just, like, being a creepster already, like, from the beginning. Not looking good, Paul. Yeah. Paul lived in his dorm with another guy that lived on the right side, whereas Paul lived on the left side. The dogs led straight to the foot of Paul Flores' bed as the source of, like, the scent that they picked up. Oh, so with the dogs, they, like, pick up a scent off of Smart or one of Smart's belongings and then... Right. That, okay, I that believe that that's how to, that works. So, back yeah. to his room. Okay. So that was at his, like, the foot of his bed. Um, and the mattress was even removed from the dorm and all of the police dogs still led to that same spot, like, after the mattress was removed. Paul's roommate told police that Paul admitted to killing Kristen and that Paul had scratches on his knees and a black eye. Paul told police that he received these injuries from being elbowed by his friend Jeremy during a game of basketball with his friends. Okay. Which is just, like, 
Okay. When police interviewed Jeremy, he told police that Paul already had a black eye before they started playing. So, like... Oh. Hello. Okay. Throwing your friends under the bus, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Paul admitted to the police that he lied about this, but he didn't want to seem sketchy or lame. He said the real reason that he got his black eye was from installing a sound system in his car, and he smacked his eye on the steering wheel. Okay. Like, who does that? Like... Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, this is like, a lot of information in these next two paragraphs, so just, I'll try and, like, read it slowly. Ask questions if you need okay. to. Paul's mother was the landlord of a property that wasn't being rented at the time, um, okay. so she lived there because it was just unoccupied. You know, might as well live at your own property. So, like, without the whole family, like, just her? Just her, because I believe they're divorced, but I okay. don't know. Okay. Probably divorced. The neighbor of Paul's mother said they saw two men late at night digging holes and filling them with concrete uh, very soon after Kristen's disappearance. Oh. So just, like, a random neighbor, like, saw that but didn't call police at the okay. time. Because um, he thought they were you know, filling just, concrete. Yeah, just building a garden or something. <laughs> like, um, He described the hole as being about waist deep and seven to eight feet long. He also... <laughs> yeah, like, hello. He also recounted seeing something heavy... That required both men to lift, being put into the hole, being filled with concrete. So it's just like this giant object is getting put in this big hole. That's grave-sized. Right. Another neighbor reported that there was constant construction going on the week of Kristen's disappearance. Police dogs searched the area, but results of the search were inconclusive. They did not bring up any evidence of, like, foul play or anything. Interesting. Like, around the... Around their house, yeah, and the concrete and all of that stuff. But it was, like, already done by that point, you know? So, fast forward six months, the person renting the property, um, she rented out eventually to someone Mm -hmm. once the construction was done. The person renting the property found an earring in her driveway that seemed to have dried blood on it. Oh, my God. When this was shown to police, and then a picture was sent to Christian's family, they swore up and down that this was her favorite pair of earrings that she wore, like, at all day, every day. And, like, police dogs never found that. Um, nobody ever found... This was in the driveway of the concrete house thing. Yeah. You know? When her family drove four hours to the police station to see the earring in person, the police, with much, much hesitation, revealed that they had misplaced the evidence and lost the blood-stained earring misplaced the one thing that like oh was my evidence. Gosh. Imagine if you were a mother how you would feel. Like that's so awful. And I feel like that's so Wow. A lot of these cases from like the nineties or before, it really shows you how poor the police work was. Like things have changed a lot in like the last like two decades. Like there are so many instances of police lo- losing evidence or like Thank God for technology advancing. More investigation was performed using ground radar monitoring and more police dog searches. Uh, During the search, many fragments of broken concrete were found that suggested the concrete was removed and redone, as if, like, they took her body somewhere else. Like, they took it out of the concrete and, you know. Law enforcement refused to dig up the concrete due to not wanting to pay for repairs in case the concrete was broken. Like, hello. Wait, really? There might be a dead body, like, in this concrete, and you're like, oh, no, it's too expensive. Like. That's. Wow. I'd be livid if I was mom. Like, no. Yeah. 
An investigator offered a much easier method that would include drilling a small hole down the center of the concrete and, like, lab tests for human remains. Mm -hmm. Uh, Law enforcement refused. No other major evidence body weapon has been found in the last 24 years, and the case remains unsolved. For some reason. Whoa. That's it. Like... That's... Wow. Like, she's never been found. But, like, obviously Paul Flores, like, kind of knows what happened. Yeah. The dogs led the scent to, like, the foot of his bed... I watched, I don't know if he was, like, a police officer or, like, an investigator, but he had a theory about what happened. So he theorized that maybe she was drugged because mm. she was not a drinker. She was not, like, whatever. She was a good girl. Maybe she was drugged and Paul Flores had been, like, stalking her, obviously, because he's stalked before. So that night, he wanted to, like, have sex or, like, rape Kristen. And then, obviously, she was like, no. Um, and then yeah. put her in a chokehold, and then oh, that's the scratches. why. Yeah, so she would be scratching, and then yeah. like the elbowing, like the black eye, and everything. And not Christian Smart's family, like, like it's unsolved. Like it's too bad, you know, like wow. too bad for your poor police work. How many years has it? Twenty four years. Wow. So the case isn't now. closed though, right? Or is it? I forget if she was legally pronounced dead or not. I don't think so, but okay. I know that like people are still trying to solve it. Okay. Um, and, like, get Paul Flores, you know, yeah. put away, because he probably did. Yeah. You know? So, that's pretty much it. Wow. It's just so crazy to me that, like, they would yeah. put her in concrete, <clears throat> just like a normal family, and he's still not in jail. Mm-hmm. Like, hello. So. Well, speaking of a normal family... I don't think I'm ready for this. <laughs> I don't think you are either. I don't know what this is at yeah, all. Yeah, don't look at my Grace screen. has been so, like, I'm not telling you. Um, oh, my gosh. Well, okay, I'll just tell you why I picked this, like, after. Yeah. But, basically, my case is on the murder of the List family. Have you heard of Mm -hmm. John List? No. Okay. So, John List was born on September 17th, 1925, just to give you a little bit about, like, the timeline. 1925? Yeah, 25. Oh, so this is a long time ago, like, a century ago. Well, okay, but this is, Oh, wait, this is when he was born. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's when he was born. (laughs) So, he was, like, middle-aged in, like, the 60s, 70s. Um, he's a family man, had a wife and three kids. Um, wife's name is, uh, Helen. So, basically, like, he lived in a hu- this huge, like, Victorian mansion in New Jersey with his wife and his three kids. And I think there was an apartment attached to the mansion, and his mother lived in there as well. Okay. So, like, pretty wealthy family. Right. Um, he's a Sunday school teacher and a bank executive. Um... So, pretty normal, right? Yeah, like a good guy. Yeah, well, no. (laughs) Because on November 9th, 1971, after his three kids left for school, he shot his wife, Helen, and his mother, uh, Alma, and then his daughter, Patricia, who was 16, and his son, Frederick, who was 13, came home from school first. He shot them as well. And then he ate lunch, took a trip to the bank. Like, just in the kitchen? Mm Mm-hmm. He ate lunch, took a trip to the bank to close his uh, bank accounts, um, and then he went to the high school to watch his last son, John Jr., who was 15, play in a soccer game. He drove him home and then shot him about 10 times when they arrived home because he was struggling. So then John List called all the children's schools to tell them that they'd be absent uh, for a while due to a family vacation. Um... He left his mother's body in her apartment, and then he put the bodies of his wife and children in sleeping bags. 
on like the first main floor. Oh god. He cut himself out of all the family photos. He turned the radio to like a religious station. He left some lights on and then just like left. So that's what happened. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Um so then like after a while some neighbors and teachers got concerned Ooh. and the bodies were discovered about a month after due to this meticulous planning. Um, yeah. Because the family was already kind of, like, reclusive and not as social as, like, a lot of the other families in yeah. the neighborhood. So, like, no one really... Yeah, that, like, happens when people, like, commit suicide. Sometimes they're not found for, like, a few weeks, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because they live, like, alone and whatever. Yeah, so this was, like, about a month. Um, mm. But then there were, like, reports of, the of um, like, neighborhood... Oh, um... There were reports of the actual family members, so, like, his wife and children becoming increasingly disturbed and, like, paranoid up into the weeks of the killing. Um, and then the oldest daughter, or the only daughter, Patricia, even warned her, um, drama teacher about it, saying, like, something would be wrong if, like, she was ever absent from school suddenly, or if, like, List got them out of school on the ruse of a family vacation, which legitimately happened. So, I'm pretty sure the drama teacher was actually the one who, like... Was like, hey, girl, like, get police to their house. (laughs) Like, something's wrong. Basically, at this point, everyone's trying to look for List, because List was just, like, yeeted out of there. Yeah. Um, So, they found his Chevrolet Impala parked at Kennedy National Airport. Um, The passport... His passport wasn't found at his house, but there was no record of, of him taking a flight, so this was probably a ruse... Mm-hmm. Um, but really, what List did was he fled to Denver, Colorado, under the alias Robert Clark. Um, he got a job and eventually a new wife, whose name was Dolores, like, about a year after. And then oh they God. both moved to Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, so <clears throat> another weird thing, like, around this time was that their Victorian mansion burned down about nine months after the murders. Um... Which was found to be arson, definitely. Okay. But it still remains unsolved to this day. What like happened? who burned? Yeah, like who okay. burned down a house. Um, <sighs> so, John, like, John List was missing for 18 years. <laughs> 18 years. <gasps> yeah. Um, missing for that long until America's Most Wanted did a show about him. And they got this... Um, forensic sculptor to like create a bust of what John List would have looked like today and you can look at it that's the bust oh and that's him and that's John List oh my god yeah so because of this bust that is so accurate it's it's isn't it crazy yeah. like how we'll put a picture on the screen right now yeah so y'all can see um and because of this he was found only 11 days after that episode was aired like, 18 years later. Whoa. Yeah. So people, like, a lot of people watched that and were, like... Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure this was also printed in, like, newspapers and stuff. Okay, so it was, like... The bust. Getting the word so, out there. Yeah, I'm not sure who actually found... Actually, I think it was an old neighbor in Denver who found okay. him. You're probably like, why did this all happen? Yeah. Like, right? I... Is he... In, okay. Like, that's, like, <laughs> insane. Um, so, there were, like, a lot of reports as him like to his peers as in like lacking in social skills and as like this pretty odd like aloof yeah kind of weird awkward kind of guy yeah i got like 
inconclusive evidence about this. It was either a few weeks or a few months before the murders occurred, but he got laid off of his job. Oh. Um, but he still pretended, pretended to leave for work every day um, up until, like, the oh murders. Because um, what he would do is he would just, like, go to the train station and read at the train station all day. And all then, day? Like, come home. For weeks? Yeah, as if he still had a job. Um, and looking into it, this is a very common theme in um, his and his wife Helen's life. Uh, dishonesty um because Uh oh she cheated um shortly after they met um helen told him she was pregnant and they got married only two months after meeting um but it helen told him later that she actually wasn't pregnant oh so mm. that's not good um psychological manipulation yeah um helen was not the most stable either she became an alcoholic after giving birth to their last and youngest son frederick yeah um she was also revealed to have syphilis from her first husband which meant that list was also sick with this disease Ugh, God. um and she didn't yeah. tell him obviously. well she didn't know okay oh okay so it wasn't so, yeah she didn't know but not that i mean she knew about the other stuff like mm-hmm. oof um so that's a thing um there was also a letter left to list's reverend left at the scene of the crime um where he's talking about he was like trying to save the souls of his family um by killing them because oh i'll get to that later um but basically he thought like their life on earth was like too sinful and so he like killed them um that's what he wrote some investigators thought that this was a ruse however because like you know pinning it on like religious like motive that's like a trump a trump card yeah so yeah um yeah so um when he was in custody after he got caught he was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive personality disorder Mm -hmm. um and the doctor said that he could really only see two options as a response to, like, getting laid off of his job, because, like, his financials just, like, went down the drain, yeah. was to accept welfare or kill his family to spare them, like, the ridicule of being on welfare. Yeah. Wait. He saw those as his two options. He saw them. No one, like, told him that. No, no. Okay. Wow. Um, Yeah. List was also, um, List also said that he didn't commit suicide because this would prevent him from going to heaven, which is where he thought his family was. So you didn't want to, like, commit suicide because you wanted to go to heaven, but you killed your whole family. Like, yeah. Hello. So. Great logic. Yeah, there's that. Um, List said he was remorseful, but the investigators still doubt this as well as the religious motive. Um, people think it was more likely that obsessive compulsive personality disorder yeah and syphilis because that affects your brain oh it does yeah okay so um and he definitely had it Mm -hmm. like at this time um i didn't know it affected your like psychological state yeah well that's not like evidence evidence but it's just like it's a it's a what people think yeah it happened um but yeah basically 
um, List died in custody in 2008 in uh, Trenton, New, Jer- New Jersey from pneumonia. So that's that case. Wow. Oh yeah. my god. That's like a lot. I know. Especially the fact that he like just got a new wife like so suddenly. Yeah. Which makes me then like you know this isn't like you're a sociopath. Yeah like if you like 100% like if you just kill your <sighs> he had that so set up. Oh yeah. Like hey girly going on vacation kids are gonna be absent like yeah. why in sleeping bags? I don't know. Okay. I guess like I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's just what happened. Just what he did, I guess. Yeah. I mean, That's why crazy. did this happen? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, um... Anything else? Well, it's not over yet. Oh, it's not over. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, God. No. Um, there is another unsolved mystery that's associated with the case, not just the arson. Okay, so this is kind of your second thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you should just keep going. Yeah, so, um... This is a case of the hijacking of a Boeing 727, also known as D.B. Cooper. Uh, I love playing crashes Have you heard and of stuff. D.B. Cooper? No. Wait. Maybe. Okay. If you start talking about it. Okay. Well, don't think about it. I've watched, like, hundreds of plane crash simulations, so, like, I'm really into, like, investigating plane crashes and I stuff. Know. So, like... I know. I had to put this one in there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this with me. Of like, course. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Okay. But okay. also it's sad because, you know, plane yeah. crashes are sad. Well, this one's, like, lighter. There's... Just keep... Okay. Just go. Um, <gasps> so, yeah, this is the case of D.B. Cooper. Um, I recognize that name. Okay. Yeah. You probably do. Okay, so the hijacking. A man going by the name Dan Cooper on November 24th, 1971, purchased a one-way flight to Seattle-Tacoma at Portland National Airport. I think I've heard of this. Okay. Yeah, you probably have. It was a 4.35 p.m. flight. Uh, The flight included 36 passengers, not including the crew. And after the flight took off, he handed this flight attendant a note. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Her last name, so I'm just going to call her Florence. That's her first name. Yep. Um, I know this. Yeah. And so, at first, she, like, ignored the note because she was like, it's probably this random guy. Yeah, like his number. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the next time she passed, he told her to look at it because he warned her that he had a bomb. Mm -hmm. Like, just straight up. Um, So obviously there was a very quick chain reaction of events after this note was passed. Um, the The pilot contacts air traffic control. Air traffic control contacts Seattle police. Police warns the FBI. FBI tells them to comply with Dan Cooper's demands. Yeah. So, unfortunately, this note was returned to Cooper, so they didn't have it, like, in evidence. Oh. Um, but this is what the flight attendant recalled from the note. He demanded $200,000 yeah. in $20 bills and two parachute- parachutes yep. delivered to Seattle-Tacoma Airport. Um, if not, he would blow up the plane. And everyone said that they remembered him using the phrase, no funny business. Yeah. In his note. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Which, makes me laugh because I'm just like I might be thinking this but um I might just be thinking things I can't remember if it's this hijacking um but I swear I remember um because in some of these plane crash like simulations they'll have like uh cabin audio from the pilot's cabin where you can hear these like pilots talking so I can't remember was he in like the pilot's cabin 
He was not. He wasn't? Okay. But he ordered everyone to be in there. Okay. But I, I remember reading No Funny Business, and obviously this event. Like, this yeah. is I remember the two parachutes and $200,000, like... Yeah. No Funny <gasps> Business. I'll like, link this that. is just so, like... Yeah. Like, this is a movie. I'll link the simulation down below. Like, just so. Oh, yeah. If y'all want to watch it. I should watch that after this. Um, yeah, so he's like, no funny business mm-hmm. in his note. Um, at this point, the passengers were, like, completely unaware of the hijacking. No yeah. one knew what was going on. Um, but shortly after, he tells the flight attendant to tell the pilot and the crew uh, to stay in the air until the money and the parachutes are ready at the airport when they land. Um... And they do get ready, and about 5.30 p.m., the plane lands. So, Cooper does release the passengers and crew. They're fine. Um, but he boards the plane again with the demand to go to Mexico City. And that this flight takes off at about 7.45 p.m. Mm. So, he's got his money. He's got his parachutes. Uh, there's no passengers on this flight, but a crew takes him yeah. on this flight. So, it's the crew and him. That's it. Yeah. He orders that they fly below 10,000 feet. And to keep the speed below 150 knots, which is optimal for skydiving. Yeah. Um, or, like, parachuting off. Yeah. But that's, from my amateur, amateur, mediocre, horrible understanding of this, <laughs> that's, like, very slow for a plane this size. Yeah. Like, that's, I'm pretty sure, like, 130 knots, 140 knots is in danger of, like, stalling a lot oh. of, like, commercial aircraft. So, like, Oof. keep going. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything. That's a good fact to add. Um, but they're like, hey, we don't have enough fuel to get you to Mexico City, so they're like, we have to stop in Reno, Nevada. Um, but Cooper complies with this. Um, he's like, okay, and he gets on a plane. Um, however, he likely never got to Reno, um, or he didn't, definitely, because um, during the flight, the crew was ordered to stay in the cockpit, but at about 8.20 p.m., the plane's nose dipped, and then recorrected, which the crew assumed had been when Cooper opened the aft stairs. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Some door. I think if that's um, in the back behind the engines, like behind the wing. Probably. I don't know. But he, like, basically just, this is when they assumed that he jumped out of the plane uh, because of that, like, nose dive and then correction. Um, and the pilot takes note of this. This was about 25 miles north of Portland. Oh, the aft stairs is, like, what you see in all those movies. Oh, it's, yeah. So if you think about the very back of the plane, it's, like, below that. Um, I'll insert a picture. It, like, opens back. It's, like, all those movies where you see, like, things falling out, like Tom Cruise, like, jump, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's, like, it's out the back. Yeah. Yeah. So at about 10.15 p.m., they landed in Reno, um, but Cooper and, like, all his belongings and the money, mm-hmm. everything was gone. Um, and no one ever heard from Cooper again. Yep. Never found. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, the search produced so little evidence. Like, initially, they began searching for the name Dan Cooper. Um, fun fact, why this is called the D.B. Cooper case is because this alias got mixed up with this Oregon man named oh, D.B. Cooper. yeah. And which is why the case got its name, because people got those two mixed up. Mm. Um, so it just stuck. Sorry to, like, the actual poor Oregon man who's innocent, but, I mean, it's... whatever. Um, The only significant tangible evidence was found on February 10th, 1980, so nine years later. Yeah. An eight-year-old boy found bundles of $20 bills, 
which matched the serial numbers which were given to Cooper. Oh. Yeah. Um, so there's obviously a lot of speculation with this case. Um, many have confessed to being D.B. Cooper. None have ever, have ever been conclusive. Um, <laughs> I'm damned. <laughs> yeah, and there was actually, like, a few um, copycat hijackings, I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know so that. So this was, like, hugely popularized. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I connected this to John List is because he was actually considered a suspect for this because this hijacking was performed about two weeks after the murders of the List family. In the same, like, area he was, like, picked up? Well, um... I guess maybe that's not related, but... Not entirely, Mm -hmm. but, like, kind of, because he ended up in Denver, Colorado. So that's, like, a similar um, area, but not really. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically, yeah. So this was performed after about two weeks after the List murders. Um, Dan Cooper also demanded $200,000, which was equivalent to List's mother's savings, which he had just run out of shortly before the murders. Yeah. Um, and the really meticulous planning fits this as well as, like, I think, like, reading about this, like, how, uh, D.B. Cooper and John List, like, talk to people and, like, it just made sense, like, John List calling like the school to like let them know that they would be on vacation and then dan cooper like his demands were all very like Mm -hmm. like it was all very planned like he had a false identity already probably fake passport and it's not charismatic it's just like yeah this is like the plan this is what you're gonna do for me um yeah so however there are like a lot of suspects not just john list um Many investigators also believe that Cooper did not survive the jump. Um, yeah. His body's never been found or anything, but a lot of people believe that. Um, I think that's very likely. Yeah. Just a random guy with, like, a parachute. You don't... I don't know how to use a parachute, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of makes sense, because, like, List was, like, before the murders, he would, like... He, um, they said they found a lot of books about, like... I guess murder and mm-hmm. like killing people and like crime and law and yeah. stuff and so it wouldn't it's not like inconceivable to me that he like picked up a ton of books and like done a ton of research on like yeah and read every day for weeks like hello yeah yeah for two weeks to be exact oh, okay um but yeah what's also interesting is that when list was caught he did confess but he mm-hmm. didn't he like denies that he was uh db cooper ever Okay, yeah, because, so he was in jail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, how long was he out of jail for again? He was, um, missing, basically, for 18 years. 18 years, okay. Yeah. Dang. So, yeah, he denied this whole thing. Um, oh, I should show you a picture of what they looked like. People say that they look similar, so that's, like, the artist, like, police rendition of D.B. Cooper, and then this is John List when he was, okay. like, younger. Ish. I kind of see it. Like, they're both just, like, white guys with, like, brown hair. Yeah. But he looks more, like, not white. His, yeah, his know? face is, like, a lot thinner than... Yeah. I don't know. I personally don't see a huge resemblance. And that might be a different time because, <clears throat> you know, when people go crazy, sometimes they won't eat for whatever. It looks like sure. he sort of lost... I don't know. That's kind of a reach, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um... That's crazy. But yeah, eventually List was taken off their suspect list, 
and um, the D.B. Cooper case became cold in 2016. Mm. Yeah. So. I remember, like, vividly now, like, especially when you said the two parachutes and the $200,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will link that below because crazy. Um, yeah. I don't know, like, the $200,000, that really makes sense. Yeah. Because that's the money he just ran out of from his mom's uh, savings account. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like if I were in his position, I'd be like, give me a million dollars, you know? That's, like, equivalent to, like, 1.5 mil today. Oh. Yeah. So it was a lot. Oh, sure. okay. He I mean, was, yeah. He was rich, rich. He yeah. had a Victorian mansion. I mean, he had. Victorian. Had. <laughs> it's burned down yeah. now, but... Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for, like, doing a more in-depth, like, especially the plane thing. That's Yeah, really I know cool. how to do the D.B. Yeah. Cooper, because I was like, John loves planes. And... Yeah, thank you so much, Grace. Yeah. I did definitely not, did not tailor mine to you at all. That's okay. But... <laughs> I mean, I did, okay, I did find the John List thing first, and then I was like, D.B. Cooper? Yeah. Um, definitely. But yeah, it's just insane. The I think, like, the most fascinating part is, like, the forensics and, like, how they made that bust of John List that caught mm-hmm. him. Like, that is just crazy. Yeah. Me. Like, it is so similar. 100%. Like, yeah, we'll geez. put that picture up again right now. Like, like, it's crazy yeah. how far you've come. And it just makes And that was back it. then, and that bust was, like, <clears throat> nearly yeah. on it, you know? Yeah. Like, he was caught. When he was he caught? 18 years later. Yeah. So, like, the 90s. Yeah. It's, it's hard to extrapolate that far, mm-hmm. like, knowing what someone looks like. But, I mean, I guess it's not, because clearly... Um, I mean, it was... I think it's really impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's... That is really that's cool. That's what I got. Um, yeah. Okay. I have to yawn. <laughs> You're fine. It's just, <sighs> like, crazy, like, the... Just, like, his relationship with his wives, also. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, he did not... He, he was crazy. He went after that crazy one, and then yeah. probably another one, you know? Yeah. That's a lot to it, take in at once. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was realizing I was going through it, like, really fast, and I was like, oh my gosh, is John okay? Oh, you're fine. <laughs> no. I was just trying to, like, pay attention to make sure the camera didn't stop recording. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. yeah. If I looked a lot over there, that's why. Yeah. So, you just gotta, you know, pay attention to... Yeah, if you get a note from a passenger before you take off, maybe read that before you take off. <laughs> oh, I just meant, like, be careful, like, who you get married to. Oh, yeah. Do like, jeez. Sometimes it's almost impossible to know, though, if you're married to some crazy person. Yeah, especially if they're, like, good at, like... Manipulating. Like, because I feel like um, there's not a lot about uh, Dolores, the second wife, but about Helen. Like, she was just very, like stable mm-hmm. and like they're probably easily like taken advantage of yeah and yeah it's just yeah that's yeah. sad but it is sad very interesting to like think about yeah i personally think that john list like totally could have been db cooper like I mean, honestly yeah. looking at this like just how they both played out mm-hmm. and they were like db cooper is still unsolved the john list case would have been unsolved Right. Like, John Lewis was pretty damn smart. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's very good. I can't wait to, like, watch this all back again and, like, relive all these stories. Just to, like, 
you know, hear them again. You know, because it's like that was a lot of information. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, you're fine. I should have probably slowed down, but you're fine. No, yeah. it was very interesting, and I'm very glad you, and, you know, like did the DB Cooper. Yeah. Airplane case because I love planes. No fun business. <laughs> so, were you more concerned about me hearing about John List or the DB Cooper? I knew you probably knew who DB Cooper was, yeah. but John List, yeah. I was like, oh, I can't know. Okay. No spoilers. Are we ready for the last? The last story. <sighs> yes. Okay. Can we do some? Can we like look at puppies or something after this? Definitely. I'm like a new <laughs> Yeah. Moment. We can play some Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. I started playing that today, and I realized, or I found out that by the way a very beautiful game anyways um i found out that there were cats in the game and every time i see a cat even though like even if there's people like shooting me or like you know i always like take a second to look at the cat cute anyways last story ladies sad days are almost over um okay so have you ever i know i sort of asked you this earlier but have you ever heard of Jody Who's in Truth. Oh, no. Yeah. Definitely not that last name. I thought you were talking about the girl who, um... Oh, what's this girl? She, like, killed her boyfriend or, like... Yeah. Never mind. You don't know who I'm talking about. It's yeah. not this person. Next episode, we do more true crime, which I'm assuming we probably will in the future do another I think true it's crime interesting. episode. Yeah. Not that I'm, like... Okay. People with true crime is, like... It's hard to, like, I don't know. Because I think it's fascinating just because, like, I, I think it's good to be aware of because I feel like people mm-hmm. don't want to talk about it, and I think that we should because it's, like, reality. Yeah. Um, And it's also, like, you got to pay attention to, like, who you interact with because, like, they could end up, like, doing horrible things, and, like, you just got to yeah. be aware and look at the warning signs. So I think that's really, like, the takeaway. Yeah. And... Um, if nothing else, like, even if that's not for you, um, just, like, getting your brain thinking is also mm-hmm. good, especially in the time of now when we're all at home. <laughs> well, yeah. most of us are home. <laughs> not me, but, um... What? Because <laughs> I work four days a week. Oh, you know, oh. So. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just good to get your brain moving, you know? It's like yeah. exercise, you know? Yeah, or just for true. your brain. Just, it's just good to be weird. Mm-hmm. Not, because like, we're obviously not trying to, like glamorize it or be like oh isn't this so interesting like yeah it is interesting but it's like you know mm-hmm. yeah whatever I'll real people talking. real families yeah 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 all right so jody who's in truth um now okay. this all takes place in minnesota in 1995 minnesota so another 90s story um is this the same year oh one year before <laughs> okay um so <clears throat> Jody Hughes and Trude was born and raised in Long Prairie, Minnesota. I was about to say Long Island, but not the same thing. Long Prairie, Minnesota, the youngest daughter of Maurice um, and Imogene. Imogene? Not really super important, but those are both her, por- her parents. Her father died in 1982, and her mother died okay. in 2014. So, just so you kind of know. Um, Some background. I, yeah, I have to burp. Okay. In high school, Hoosentrut loved playing golf, and she was on. Uh, Hoosentrut loved playing golf, 
and she and her team won the state Class A tournament in both 1985 and 86. Like, that was a pretty big deal, you know. It was, yeah. Uh, after Into golf. Yeah. Um, after high school, she went on to St. Cloud State University, where she studied mass communications and speech communication. Mm. Her friends reported that she was a big dreamer, and her biggest dream was to be famous. Hence the communication. You know, she wants to know how to talk to people, talk to an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, during her time in college, she joined their TV news network. She absolutely loved participating, and you can even see old news footage of Jody today. She had a lot of friends and was very loved in her community. She graduated in 1990 and briefly worked with Northwest Airlines before she returned back to journalism. Because that's, like, what she was more into. Okay. Um, she began a broadcasting career with CBS affiliate KGAN in Cedar Rapids, uh, then returned to Minnesota for a job at ABC affiliate uh, KSAX or KSAX in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. This is very confusing, but Hughes and Trude <laughs> later returned to Iowa for her position at CBS affiliate KIMT in Mason City. So okay. she was broadcasting in uh, Cedar Rapids, then Minnesota, then back to Iowa, and that's where she works now. Quotes, whatever. At this time. Yeah, at this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, she got an anchor job for the morning and afternoon show, which she was very happy about. She loved to be on TV, and families across across the country woke up to her every morning. Um, I recognize her name, definitely. Yeah. I think that's probably why. This is pretty famous, because she was in front of the public eye yeah. a lot. Um, and... There was, and this is not what, and what I wrote down, but um, she almost w- received, like, speech uh, therapy because she had a Minnesota, like, very heavy Minnesota accent, mm-hmm. but um, so many people loved that, like, good girl, good, like, Southern, is Minnesota Southern? No. Okay, good whatever <laughs> accent, sort of. It was very, like, comforting for a lot of people. Yeah. So that, that it, she was very liked. She was very, not like popular, but she was just very easy to like, get along with. Um, yeah. And a great option for like a news anchor. Um, on June 26, 1995, Hoosen Troop participated in a golf tournament. According to Mason City residents, John Vances, um, Vances, we're just going to call him John. Okay. <laughs> According to Mason City resident John Vances, or John, she then went to his house to view a homemade videotape of a birthday celebration that he had arranged for her early that month. That month. Okay. Um, so it was just, like, looking at home videos of the party, like, okay. laughing and be like, oh, that was so funny, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually he went home and left Jody to get some sleep before her job in the very early morning. Wait, so who is this? Is this, like, a friend? Yeah, or? a friend of hers. Okay. Um, they both participated in the golf tournament, um, and then later oh. that night, they returned to Jody's okay. apartment. They were watching home videos of a birthday party, okay. and were like, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, the camera will stop recording in, like, five minutes, so just keep an eye on it. Okay. Um, as a morning news anchor, Jody usually arrived at work around 3.30 a.m. to go over the show for the yeah. day uh, and to get ready to be on camera, like hair, makeup, and stuff. Yeah, fun fact, I was on the Today Show once, just for like a second with um, a choir, and we had to get up at like 3 a.m. to get there. Yeah. <laughs> we had to like get there at 5 a.m. Yeah, it, to like, be on it. Because it starts at like 6, a lot of these segments, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it started at 7, actually. Okay. I just remember it being, like... Even still. So cold. 
Yeah, and you're a night owl. To, like, you hate waking up early. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. But anyways, yeah, they go on like crazy early. Yeah. So Judy usually arrived to work at 3.30 a.m. Um, and if she was not at work at 4, she was called by one of the producers to make sure she didn't oversleep, which did happen occasionally, you know, like sure. oversleeping, you know, good to have a friend look out for you. At about 4 a.m. on Tuesday, June 27th, 1995, KIMT producer Amy Kunz noticed that Hoosentrut had failed to report to work as scheduled. So she called Hoosentrut's apartment. When Hoosentrut answered the telephone, she explained that she had overslept and that she was pre- preparing to leave for the station. Okay. So it was like a normal thing. You know, she was already getting ready. Yeah. Um, Amy Kunz reported yeah. that she was very concerned about the show and was adamant that she would be there very soon. Jody was very passionate about what she called her show and wouldn't miss it for anything. And that was not like a self-righteous thing. Yeah, it was yeah. just like something she loved doing. Like her baby. It was her segment. Yeah. Her yeah. baby. What's interesting is that if I, like, if I was going to be late to work, I wouldn't wait for them to call me. I would call, like, as soon as I would wake up. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but, yeah. I don't know if that. I think... It's just kind of weird. Either it was weird, yes, or it was just such a routine that, Yeah, yeah. So, and maybe she did just wake up, you know? Yeah, sure. Jody had still not arrived at 5.30 a.m., and was called again by her producer, Kunz, but there was no answer. By 6 a.m., she had mm-hmm. still not arrived, so Kunz filled in for her morning for her on the morning show Daybreak, which was, like, her show. Okay. Um, and this is, like, like, she's, like, the one talking? Yeah, so she, so, yeah, so Jody was the anchor. Oh, okay. She was absent, so there <laughs> the was, like, a talking. substitute teacher sort of anchor. Okay, you know? got it. At about 7 a.m., there was still no sign of Jody, and by this time, KIMT staff called the Mason City Police because, you know, yeah, she was sus. so in her routine and so passionate about, like, her show, like, and she has to do the afternoon show as well. Oh. So, you know, she would be there, especially at that time. She's there all day, yeah. you know, working on, like, what she's going to do tomorrow, what she's going to do the next day and yeah. everything. So. Man. Very good, I think, on their part, but, um. Yeah, that's good. When police arrived at Hoosentrut's apartment, they found her red Mazda Miata left out in the parking lot, as well as other evidence that suggested a struggle had taken place near the car. Oh. Her personal items, including a bent car key. I don't know if you've ever tried to bend your car key, but it's you can't bend your car key. I have a story about this, <laughs> actually. Okay. <laughs> but you can. Well, can I just... Yeah, I, I might cut it out, but yeah. Sorry. Um, but... There's this guy who was on my floor, or who lived on my floor, key. and, well, it was his dorm key, Uh-oh. um, but he bent it, like, at a, so the key's like this, he bent it at, a, like, a right angle, <laughs> and so, instead of getting a replacement key, because it was, like, really expensive, he just bent it back with the hammer. And it worked? Yeah. <laughs> well, good for him. I know. So, you <laughs> can amazing. bend a car key, I bet. Well, but, like, car keys it would are take a lot, way different than... A regular house key. I, yeah. I can see bending a house key, but like a car key, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Because um, they tend to be like kind of thicker, I don't know, maybe even back then it was easier, whatever. Yeah. Uh, her personal items, including a bent car key, her shoes, and her hair dryer, which she would often bring to work if she was late, you know, oh, yeah. running <laughs> at the door, like, you know, gotta bring a hair dryer. Yeah, sure. Um, these items were strewn about the area. There oh. were also drag marks going in the direction away from her car. 
and police reported recovering an unidentified palm print on the um, vehicle window. So it wasn't hers? Yeah, it did not match her, like, fingerprints. No. Okay. Police dogs searched the area around her apartment complex, as well as the river that was very close to where she lived. Nothing was found during the search, mm-hmm. and that night, Jody's friends and co-workers at KIMT reported on their show about her disappearance. So, really? like, her own friends, like, had to report this. Oh my god! And you can see a video of this, like, they are very upset about it. And this is the same day. What? That, yeah. We can insert a clip if you, like, Aww. if I find it, but, yeah. She was, I remember the reporter being, like, a very good... A very dear friend of mine, um, she was like, she was a very good dear friend of mine, is a very good friend of mine. Oh. Um, she has been reporting, it was, it was so hard, like, for her, oh and, like, gosh. it was, it was awful. I just can't imagine that, but, um. Yeah. It was discovered that a few months before these events, Jody had filed a report that she had been, uh, stalked by an unknown person. Jody was hiking in October alone and reported that a large black truck was following close behind her. Ew. Police were never able to find out who it was. So, just random black truck follows you while you're hiking. Like, hello. Also, I don't know how a truck followed her while she was hiking. Yeah. I don't know. Because that's not... Yeah. Whatever. It might have been like an ATV. I don't know. Whatever. It was a truck. Anyways. (laughs) Um... The morning of Jody's disappearance, a neighbor reported hearing distressed screams coming from outside their apartment complex. Um, there were also reports of a large white van driving around in the apartment complex that morning that, like, nobody recognized. And this was, like, the 90s, so, like, you kind of knew everybody and everybody's car. If someone got a new car, like, everyone would know. And this was, like, a small, you know... A small community. Yeah, this is, like, Minnesota or wherever. Yeah. So... Um, the last known person to see Jody was John Vansence. Yeah. Or, as we commonly know him, John. Not me. Who had hung out with her in her apartment the night before her mm-hmm. disappearance. Jody had a strange friendship with John. He was 22 years older than her, and they both looked at each other like as having like a father daughter type relationship. Okay. You know, like. He's like a father to me. She's like a daughter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Jody brought him into her friend group because they were so close. So it's okay. just like her and this group of like 20-year-old girlfriends and then uh-huh. a 45-year-old man. Okay. Which, you know, people thought that was weird, but, you know. Sure. They were just kind of like, oh, it's Jody's friend, whatever. Okay. Um, originally, Jody and John met at a bar, but they coincidentally lived in the same apartment complex as each other. So that's already, like, mm. if you already know everyone that's in your apartment, like, hello. Um, mm. Jody met John when he was going through a rough patch in his life. He was going through a messy divorce and was court-ordered to have a breathalyzer in his car to make sure he wouldn't drunk drive. And I don't know how familiar you are with that. Do you know anything about breathalyzers in your car? No. Okay, so basically, if you get a ton of DUIs, if you're, like, really violent or whatever... Sometimes you'll get a breathalyzer in your car, so you have to use it oh. every time before you start driving, and every five minutes while you're driving. And if you Whoa. don't do it, the police will be called, and it has, like, a GPS now. It has wow. A, you know, it's, like, really crazy. Okay. 
Um, I did, literally didn't know yeah, that was a thing. I can link a video on that. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But also, that would suck if that would happen to you. I mean, but don't drive drunk like an yeah. asshole. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, her friends suspected that he wanted more from her than just a friendship. Um, just, like, how he would look at her, how he would talk to her. Yeah. I mean, that's what I thought initially. Like, Yeah. Um, he even named his boat after Jody before she disappeared. Okay. If you name your boat... Jody. After a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Like, Dad wouldn't do that for any of us. He wouldn't name his truck Grace. You know, <laughs> like... Like, if it was Imagine a father... a truck named Grace, <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Um, That's what my truck's name is gonna be. Okay. <laughs> um, no. John would often carpool to work with another co-worker... And at 6 a.m. the morning of Jody's disappearing, she called him to confirm picking him up and reports that he acted totally normal that morning. Like, so, he was just kind of, like, his regular self. Um, she says that there was no way that between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. he could have hurt Jody and disposed of the body. So, this is sort of, like, his alibi. Like, hey, he didn't do it. Who's his alibi? His friend? His friend that is picking him up. Okay. Yeah. And then, but why did Jody call him? Jody never called him. Oh, the friend called him. Yeah, the friend that was picking okay. him up the called friend. John. Okay. Yes. Keep in mind, they lived in the same building, though. Yeah. So, two hours, a lot can happen if... with Wait, just... they meaning Jody and John? Yes, Jody and John. Okay. Lived in the same apartment. Yes. Okay. That year, he passed a polygraph test when being questioned about these events. Okay. So, which, you know... I mean... People can pass can, polygraphs, yeah. but it's not common. Um... Another person of interest was investigated named Tony Jackson. He was living two blocks away from Jody's news station. Uh, he was accused of sexually assaulting four women in 18 days, a year or so after Jody's disappearance. So okay. when these four women were assaulted, this is when he was being investigated, and like a year later. Right. Um, people were like, oh, he could have like, okay. done something to Jody. Um Tony had a history of stalking all his victims before hurting them, and he had been known to have outbursts of violent behavior. He was kicked out of college because of this and enrolled in a local community college where his interests grew in broadcasting. So, uh, yeah. Five okay. days before Jody went missing, Tony went through a very bad breakup and became very angry and probably violent. Uh, Jody also had a very strong resemblance to Tony's ex girlfriend. Like, very strong. I don't have pictures, but I'll insert them here. Okay. Um, if I can find them. I, I don't know if I will be, though. We'll see. Um, he tried choking his ex-girlfriend and was arrested on domestic violence charges, but he was eventually let go because his ex dropped the charges. Oh my god. Which is, like, dumb, you know. Um, in 1997, he was pulled over and arrested and was found to have rope and duct tape in his car. So, like, this is when he was arrested for the four women. Yeah. Um, he was sentenced to life for assaulting the four women, mm -hmm. and while he was imprisoned, he told another inmate that he abducted a news anchor and killed her. Oh. But he didn't say who. He was just like, I well. abducted a news anchor and killed her. Um, he wrote a rap about how he buried the woman in a farm near a silo in town, in a town that is located a few hours away from where Jody resided. Oh my god. Yeah. Law enforcement yeah. went to that town, and there ended up being one silo, like on a farm. Police dogs were brought uh, in, and they immediately alerted to something inside the silo. But it turned out not to produce evidence, and Tony was eventually ruled out from the small list of suspects. 
What? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how specific is that? Like, I don't even know what towns are called a few hours away from me. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what, you know. Um, mm. In 2008, so years and years later, like over 10 years yeah. later, 84 pages of Jody's personal journal were mailed to a local news station in Waterloo, Iowa. There was oh no reason God. why or who this package was from. Jody's journal has been in police custody since her disappearance, and there's no way for the public to read it. So, like, someone either had to have special access to her journal, or, like, the killer so, had her journal. But they had her journal. Like, 84 pages of it. This was not like a, ooh, let me just snap this pic real quick of this one page. Yeah. Like he, but it said the police had the rest of the journal? The police had the whole journal. The entire journal. And 84 pages of the journal were mailed to a local police station in Waterloo, uh, Iowa. While the police had it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't, like, photocopied. Well, yeah. So, they had... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but it did happen. Were they, like, the actual pages of the journal? Yeah, I believe so. Like, copies. 84 pages of... Yeah. Were they copies or were they... I don't know. Copies. I believe they were copies. Okay. Isn't that weird? But that's still, like, ew. Yeah. Like, how did that even happen? Did he, like, break into an evidence uh. room? Yeah. Um, in 2017, John Vansence was announced to still be a person of interest, and that is the last the public has ever been updated on the case. So, unresolved as well. Wow. Both of these are unresolved. Yeah. That's so creepy, too, because, like, if he did, like, photocopy the journal or something, like... It meant he planned this out for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he had to, like, wait for the technology of photocopying to, like, exist before this happened. Did photocopies exist in 1996? Probably. Oh, really? Okay. That's but, what I meant, that he copied them before. Okay. And they kept the them journal. the whole time. Yeah. 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 Did people have cars back I think... then? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they carpooled, yeah. I think, like... Wow. That's interesting. Because that also could have been a part of the stalking thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is if he, like, photocopied her journal before. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. I hated that. So, that's it. Wow, that's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. Because she was, like, so loved in her community. Yeah. Like, um, her family even uh, flew to California, like, six months after her disappearance. And, like, mm-hmm. went to three different psychics. They were so desperate for, like information and none of them obviously well none of the psychics were able to help um so you know none yeah. of the psychics were real or whatever yeah so that's really really sad um but yeah mm-hmm. very interesting cases i honestly think my favorite is the plain one that you did yeah it's the most wholesome yeah not that it's wholesome but yeah, like yeah. <laughs> nobody died nobody died except yeah. for maybe him but yeah oh well <laughs> You know, he was an asshole, so. Yeah. Jeez. <sighs> yeah. I'm kind sad now. Yeah. I know. I, I don't know if I want to do this again. <laughs> I'm, like, sad now. Yeah. I really like this podcast. Yeah. Uh, doing this one. Um. Yeah, it is sad, but, like, you know. I mean, it's still important. Cause yeah. like. It's interesting. Yeah. I just, like, like, I think it's going to be weird. Mm-hmm. Oh. Stuff like this that happens, because, like... It could happen to you? Yeah. 
as much so, as we wouldn't like it to, obviously. But yeah, it's like gotta be aware. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys so much for watching. Um, <laughs> if you made it this far, you're an OG. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, true crime is sad, but life is good if you're happy and healthy. So I hope you all are doing safe. Um, any last words? Not. Any final conclusions? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>